Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 24 through verse 27, and I'm going to be preaching to you on the subject of how to run an effective race. Listen to what the Bible says, starting in verse number 24. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, everybody say temperate, in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you again, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I'm asking you this morning that you help me to preach effectively, not by my power, but by yours. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege of being able to be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, I'm asking this morning that you do the work that only you can do in the hearts and lives of people. Speak to hearts, change lives, do your work, and show us how to run effectively the race that you've put us in. In Jesus' name we pray, and for your sake, amen. This morning, I want to give you four main points in these three verses. First of all, I want to talk to you about the entrance to the race. Then we're going to look at the exercise for the race. Then we're going to look at the endurance in the midst of the race. Then we're going to look at the elation at the end of the race. All of this we see right here in 24 through 27. So when I'm talking about the entrance into the race, what are we talking about? The Apostle Paul says in verse number 24, Know you not that they which run in a race run all of it. So what the first thing we need to answer is who are the they's? He's speaking to those who are in the race, and he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. Now, if he's writing the letter to the church, it must mean that he's speaking to those who have believed on Jesus as their personal Savior. He's writing to none other than the believers, the blood-bought, the born-again, those who have understood and experienced the blessing of knowing Christ as their personal Savior. That's who the they's are. And I want you to understand and know that the truth he spoke to the believers at Corinth, it was just as real then as it is today. It was relevant for them then, but it's relevant for every believer, even believers here at Mount Zion this morning. He's talking to those who know the Lord. He's talking to the beloved, the brethren, uh, the body of Christ when he says they who are in the race. We are in a race. Each and every one of us who have trusted in Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit is our great teacher. If you believe that this morning, say Amen. Brothers, if you will, please put for me on the screen. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians. But put me on the screen, John chapter 14. I want to share with you just a few verses that um, Jesus speaks to his disciples and to us. Starting in verse number 15. John 14, 15. Jesus is teaching his disciples right before he goes to the cross. He's already told them in John 13 
where I'm going, you can't come right now. Now, you get to come in a little while, but what I'm going to do is go back to my heavenly Father, and when I go back to my heavenly Father, I'm leaving you here so that you might accomplish the purpose and the mission that I've saved you to accomplish. He says, now later, you'll get to go with me. Later on, I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And But he says, when I leave you, I, I'm not leaving you comfortless. I'm not leaving you alone. He pretty much tells them, I'm going to leave one just like myself to be here with you, to help you in whatever that you might face. It's called the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in John 14, verse number 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. The Greek word for our English word comforter is the word parakletos. The word parakletos actually means one who comes alongside to help us. And so what Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another one, just like myself, to come alongside and help you as you live out your life, as you fulfill your purpose, as you accomplish the mission that I've saved you to accomplish. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. He comes alongside and helps us. He teaches us. He guides us. He instructs us. He leads us in the way that God wants us to go. He says in verse 17, he's the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knows him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. So let me ask you something, believer. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in the four walls of this church? No, the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. You've heard me say it before, I'm going to say it again. In the Old Testament, God had a temple a temple for his people that they would come to and worship in the presence of God. In the New Testament, because of the finished work of Jesus, God has a people for his temple. Now God dwells in us. Every believer, the Holy Spirit is in us and he teaches us, he guides us, he instructs us on the way that we are to live our life, a way that's pleasing unto the Lord. Now, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit worked greatly. God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the Apostle Paul to write nine, and we know, nine books, at least nine books of the New Testament. Now, I, I say at least because I believe he wrote 10. I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews as well. But God used the Apostle Paul greatly while he walked upon this earth. And he, he used Paul to tell us who we are in Jesus and what we have in Jesus. Now you remember in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says that for the believer we have been born again into a family. If you believe it, say amen today. I love this truth. Romans chapter 8, verse number 15, Paul put it like this. He says, we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So if you're here this morning and you've believed on Jesus, you know you've been born again, then folks, listen to me. You have been put into the family of God himself. You are now the adopted sons and daughters of God. Let me tell you how good that is. We found out in our study of Romans that the adopted children have the same rights and privileges as the blood kids. That's why Paul went on to write Romans 8, 17, I am therefore heirs to God and joint heirs with Jesus. That's amazing to me. Think about that just a moment. 
The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul teaches us that we are, but for the believer, we're born again into a family. Let me tell you what else he teaches us. We found out last week in 2 Timothy chapter number uh, 2 that uh, Paul told us by inspiration of God the Holy Spirit that we've also been enlisted in an army. He told Timothy, he said, you've got to be a good soldier and endure hardness. He said, Timothy, you've got to be tough. You've got to be totally committed to your commanding officer. And Timothy, you've got to be tender. You've got to show compassion. We've been born again into a family as believers. We've been enlisted in an army as believers. But this morning we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we're also running a race as believers. Now, before we go any further, let, let me make something clear. I am not saying, nor is Paul saying, we're running this race to get to heaven. That's not his point. That's certainly not my point. It's not my point because it's not his point. It's not the word of God. See, what I know to be true and what God's word teaches is that salvation is a gift to be received, not a work to be achieved. See, what I know according to Scripture is that salvation, listen to me, is received by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. What I realize is that good works are not the, uh, the reason for salvation, but good works are the result of our salvation. So what Paul is saying is that we're not running this race to get to heaven. We're running this race on our way to heaven. The moment we trusted in Jesus, the Bible says our sins were forgiven and our name was written down in the Lamb's book of life. You believe it, say amen today. It's a gift that you receive by grace through faith. Let me just go over there and share that with you while I'm here. First, Ephesians chapter 2 makes that very plain in three or four verses. Ephesians 2, <clears throat> starting in verse number 8, the Bible tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, watch this, it is God's gift. How many of you know you don't work for a gift? A gift, you, you simply receive it unto yourself. If you have to work for it, then it ceases to be a gift, and that's Paul's point. He says, not of works, verse 9, lest any man should boast. But now listen, if you've truly been saved, it produces works. It produces a change in your life that changes the pattern of your life. You've heard me say before that once you're born again into the family of God, you receive a new nature. Now, when you get that new nature, that new nature gives you desire. A new desire to please God. And then that new desire changes your direction or how you live your life. That's why he says in Ephesians 2 and 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Not by good works are we put in Christ Jesus, but we are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are his workmanship unto good works. Everybody see this? So the entrance into the race happens at the moment you trust in Christ as Savior and you are born again into his family, enlisted in his army, and you begin this race. Now this race is so that we might obtain an incorruptible crown. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look down with me there at what he says again. In uh, verse number... 
25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So we're running this race as believers so that we might please Jesus and win the crown. That's what Paul says. There's five crowns that is mentioned throughout the New Testament. There's the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the incorruptible crown. Um, there's also, I don't want to miss any of them. Let me, let me make sure I give them all to you. The crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the incorruptible crown, the crown of glory, and the crown of rejoicing. And the Bible says the believer can run the race to obtain these incorruptible crowns one day when we stand before the Lord. And the truth is, every believer, the Bible says, will one day stand before the Lord. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the life we've lived after salvation. After we've received this free gift. After we've been put into the race, we're going to have to then give an account for how we ran. I don't know about you, but that in one sense blesses my soul and in another sense scares me to death. You see, one day I'm going to stand before the one who hung on a cross for me and give an account for what I did do and what I didn't do. One of these days, I'm going to stand before the one who took the cat of nine tails for me, who was spit upon for me, who was stripped naked and hung on a cross for me. I'm going to, I'm going to stand before him and give account for the life that he purchased. That is a great blessing. But oh, listen. What great responsibility we have as followers of Christ to please Jesus daily. So Paul said, since that you are in this race, run well. Run to win. Which brings me to my next point. Not only I want you to see the entrance into the race, but you've got to see the exercise for the race. Anybody who's ever ran a race knows that it takes a whole lot of work. I'm going to tell you something. These Olympic athletes that train all their life for that one race many times that, that, that they'll get to compete in, they work hours upon end daily preparing for that race, exercising for that race. Three things that I want you to see about the exercise for the race. First of all, you've got to be, listen to me now, have some direction. You've got to have some direction about what you're doing. You've got to have a goal that you've set. The Apostle Paul had a goal. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and read with me starting in verse number 16, just a few verses up. He tells us what his goal is. He says, for though I preach the gospel, I'll have nothing to glory up, for necessity is laid upon me. Paul, really what he's saying is, my preaching of the gospel shouldn't bring me any glory because it's been laid upon me by God. God has made this a necessity in my life. He goes on and says, uh, at the end of verse 16, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Understand what this brother's talking about. He's saying the same thing that Jeremiah said when Jeremiah said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. It's not that I should receive any glory, but God gives me this and I gotta preach it. I've gotta share it. 
I know God's put something on my heart and I've got to give it then to others as God opens those doors. So Paul says, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Let's go on and look at verse number uh, 17. For I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Verse 18, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, what is Paul's goal? To preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to every man, woman, boy, and girl upon the face of the earth. And I'll go a step further and say his other goal or uh, that goal that's right there with that is to edify the church, to build up the body of Christ. And he did everything he could do to achieve the goal that he had. He focused on the goal and then he did the work. You've got to have a goal. What's your goal? What's your focus? Some say, well, brothers, I just want to be a, the, the best father I can possibly be. I want to be the best husband that I can possibly be. I want to be the best mama, the best wife that I can possibly be. That's a great goal. Nothing wrong with that. I would say, well, I want to be a, a great witness for the Lord. That's a great goal. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. A lot of people say, well, I just want to, I want to do good to people. I want to do good wherever I go. And, and listen, put a smile on somebody's face wherever I am. Look, that's great. But let me sum all that up for the believer. Let me sum all that up for those who are in this race. What our goal should be is to be like Jesus. For if we are like Jesus, then we achieve all of those things I just mentioned. See, Jesus said that we are to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That's doing good to people daily. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Amen? <laughs> That's sharing this gospel message. Jesus knew what it really meant to love in a way that changed people's lives. That's why Paul said that if we're going to be a good husband, we've got to love our wives as Christ loved the church. See, our goal as believers is to be more Christ-like today than I was yesterday. Brother Ben Harris done a great job last Sunday morning talking about how we achieve what we're actually going for as believers. And he said it's not through more hard work, but it's through more abiding in the vine. As we spend more time with the Lord, we become more like the Lord. As we abide with Him, people will see Him in us. It makes all the difference. We've got to spend time Abiding in the vine so that we might bear the fruit is what he said in John 15. So my goal as a believer, I want to be more Christ-like today than I was yesterday. I want to be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. I want to be more like Christ next week than I was last week. What I'm saying is this is a process that we're all going through. But we must, we must have some direction Focus in on the goal that we have. But now, not only is it going to take direction, any racer is going to tell you it's going to take discipline. I'm talking about severe discipline. Let me give you my two favorite definitions for discipline that I found this week, man. It really blessed my heart. L listen what I believe 
discipline truly is. Discipline is the ability to, to, to not trade the best things for the good things. There's a lot of good things that we can do, but we shouldn't do them. Are you getting me? Paul says it like this in another place. He says, There's everything is, is lawful for me. I have freedom in Jesus. I'm not saved because of what I do or what I don't do. I've got freedom in Christ. I'm under grace. Everything is lawful for me, but not everything is expedient. What he's saying is not everything helps me. Not everything helps me to achieve my goal, to realize what I focused on. Just like, uh, y'all remember Michael Phelps a few years ago in the Summer Olympics, that brother right there won about every medal you could possibly win. And one of the greatest athletes the world's ever known. I think his gold medal alone was up in the 20s or 30s that he had won over his time as an Olympic athlete. And I remember watching in one of those Olympic games that he was in, I think the first one, they gave his daily diet that he had to eat daily to... Um, to, to, to be what he was and to do what he did. And it was amazing all that he had to eat. But let me tell you what I didn't see on there. I didn't see any Krispy Kremes. Wasn't none on it. I, I didn't see any Big Macs. I, I didn't see any chocolate and biscuits. Now let me ask you something. Is chocolate and biscuits good? Yes, Praise the Lord. Yes, it's good. It's good. Again, if you don't think chocolate and biscuits is good, come over and get in this altar and get your heart right. I mean, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You need to get right with the Lord if you don't think chocolate biscuits is good. Big Macs are good. Would you agree? Certainly. Big Macs are good. What about some Krispy Kremes? I'm talking, have y'all tried the new, um, I think it's called brown sugar and cinnamon glaze. Oh my gosh. It's fantastic. They're good. But now listen. If you're going to achieve the goal, it's not best. Let me tell you why Michael Phelps won so many races. He was disciplined enough to not trade the best things for the good things. Listen to me, believer. Don't trade the best things for good things. Do y'all believe this is some of the best things we could do as children of God? I, I tell you, for me, this is just a little bit of heaven when God's people meet together in God's place and God's power for God's purpose. I love it. I desire it. I can't wait for it. It's awesome. As a believer, this is some of the best things we can ever do this side of eternity. I'm talking about meeting together like we're meeting right now. I remember years ago, I uh, was missing a lady. She hadn't been at church in, I don't know, three or four Sundays, and I went over to her house and visited her. And she said, Brother Israel, I'm sorry I ain't been coming, but my peas have come in. And I've been picking peas. Anything wrong with black-eyed peas and cornbread? 
No. But let me tell you something. Those things are good, but they're not best. I'm glad she's honest. Right? She just told it like it was. I just been picking some peas. Well, ain't nothing wrong with picking peas, but when it comes time to worship, let's worship. Don't trade the good things for the best things. Anything wrong with a good television show? No, but if that controls everything about you and you spend more time watching that TV and no time in the Word of God, you trade the good thing or the best thing for the good thing. And we could go on and on about every little thing in our lives. We've got to make sure that we're disciplined enough not to trade the best things for the good things. Man, focus. Look to the goal that you've set to be like Christ and be disciplined enough to not trade the best for the good. Let me give you another definition of discipline that I love. Um, and this one really hit home with me. It's the ability to recognize what things are helps to you and what things are hindrances to you. That's good, isn't it? Realize what helps you become more like Jesus and what hinders you from becoming more like Jesus and then adjust your behavior. That's discipline. You gotta have direction, you gotta have discipline. If we're going to achieve our goal, if we're going to be Christ-like, if we're going to be effective in this race, oh, folks, we, we need that more than anything else. But let me tell you what else has to happen. There's got to be some determination Look what it says there in verse number 27. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it under subjection. What he's saying is, I don't let my flesh, that old sinful nature, tell me what I'm going to do. I tell it what it's going to do. He's in control of how he thinks. Therefore, he's in control of how he acts. I'm not going to let the flesh control me. I'm not going to let my body keep me from reaching my goal. That's determination. He, he says they who run in a race, you got to run all of it. You can't run some of it. You can't start and, and run well for just a little bit. If you're going to run that marathon, you've got to be willing to stick it out. Man, I look at some of these guys running these marathons on TV. I think in the marathon, 26.2 miles. I repented of that when I saw it. I'm going to tell you something, brothers, brothers and sisters. I, 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 if you see Brother Israel running, you better run too. <laughs> it probably ain't good for us. I don't run a whole lot. Now, I ain't got nothing against people who do run. I think that's awesome that someone puts that much dedication and, and determination into that. Discipline, my goodness. You talk about some toughness, those guys that can run like that. Wow, that's amazing. But I see them at the end of the race. And some of these brothers are like, they ain't going to make it. You ever seen them? Just struggling. I'm talking about crapping up 50, 60 yards before they get to the finish line, just barely dragging themselves over. Why? Are they doing what they're doing, determination? They're determined that no matter what, I'm going to accomplish this goal of running the race well. Well, if they'll do it like Paul says for an incorrupt or for a corruptible crown, shouldn't we do it for an incorruptible? 
Let's have some direction. Let's set that goal. Let's have some discipline in our lives, realizing what helps us and what hinders us. Let's not trade the best things for the good things. And let's run effectively, being determined to run well for the Lord. You've got to see, folks, the entrance into the race, the exercise for the race. But let me give you this. You've also got to see the endurance in the midst of the race. Because how many know racing gets tough? I wish I could tell you that the Christian walk, the Christian life is hunky-dory and hallelujah at all times. I, I wish I could tell you there'll never be any hardships in your life, but I can't tell you that truthfully. Because there will be hardships. There are going to be times when it seems as though life sneaks up behind you and jerks, jerks that rug out of you, from under your feet and you fall flat on your face and you wonder what in the world is going on. There's going to be times when you question what's happening and to be honest, there's times that I've questioned God for letting it happen. You go through hard times, but it takes endurance to run well. It takes us being willing to endure those hardships so that we might win the prize. Please the Lord. It's not always easy, but God helps us through it. Gives us the power to overcome. Helps us to be more than we think we are and to do more than we think we can do. Endurance what I'm really talking about is faithfulness. Faithfulness is consistently giving God your best in what he calls you to do. Consistency matters if you're going to run well. You gotta consistently do the right things in preparation for the race and while in the race. Get consistent in being under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Get consistent in your prayer life. That's why I encourage you that every morning at 9 o'clock, what are we going to do? We pray one for another. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Jesus. We pray for the ministry here at Mount Zion. We pray that God has His way and will and all that. Now, can you pray at any other time? Should you pray at any other time? The Bible says, again, pray without ceasing. I'm just trying to set some, some, some parameters where we, hey, we, we're going to pray for sure at 9 o'clock so that we can build discipline into our lives in praying. Consistency. Doing what pleases God day by day. Man, it's so important. God has not called you To great success. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe God wants you to be successful in your ministry, in your life. But things don't always work out like we think it ought to work, ought to work out, does it? God does not judge you on how successful you are according to man's opinion of success. God judges us on our faithfulness. That's why the scripture said, Jesus said, in the, in the heavenly kingdom, the greatest shall be least and the least shall be greatest. 
There will come a time when we get to heaven, I believe this is everything in me, that all the people that we thought were going to be in the head of the line ain't going to be there. I'm talking about maybe preachers that we thought, man, these, these preachers that have preached the thousands and did all these great things and, and built these hu humongous mega churches. We think they're really going to be up at the front of the line. But I think what's going to happen, the least is going to be greatest and the greatest is going to be least. Because God judges according to faithfulness and God judges according to what you do with what he gives you. Let me tell you who I think might be up the front of the line. Maybe it's a single mama who's done everything she can do to raise up in babies in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nobody's ever heard her name. She's never been on TV. But she did all she could do consistently, faithfully, with what she had. Maybe it's that Sunday school teacher who consistently endured even when they thought them kids wouldn't listen they were still and they are they are you may think they're not hearing you they're hearing you I can promise you you're getting through keep on keeping on for the Lord Jesus Christ keep teaching that truth keep loving them babies because I believe one day that we're going to see those Sunday school teachers who may never have their name in lots but they faithfully, week in, week out, consistently endured their race, doing all they could do with what God gave them to do with. What I'm telling you is, we got to endure faithfully when the race gets tough so that we might run effectively. Amen? I want you to see the entrance into the race, the exercise for the race, the endurance in the midst of the race, but I want you to see the elation at the end of the race. You remember those guys that I was talking about, man, that was just struggling in those marathons? Y'all seen them 40, 50 yards before they cross over and their, their legs are cramping up and it's hard for them to even run. It's almost like they're getting down to a crawl trying to get over the finish line. You ever seen the look on their face when they break the tape, when they do cross that finish line? It's a look of pure elation because they know they've given it all. They set a goal. They, were, they had direction. They had discipline. They had determination. They endured when the race got tough and they crossed the finish line running all the race, not some of it. Paul says this too. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. Let me give you just a few scriptures here and I'm done. Second Timothy chapter number four. Paul here is making his farewell address to whom he calls his son, young, his son in the faith, Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 5, he says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Watch what he says. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. What he's saying is I've ran my race. 
I have kept the faith. Verse number eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Isn't that great? There's a song that's very popular. I love it, and I know some of you do as well. It's called, I Can Only Imagine. What it'll be like when I stand before the Lord. Can you imagine what it was like when Paul the Apostle stood before Jesus? A man who gave everything for the sake of the gospel. He gave his power, his influence, his wealth. He gave his prestige. And he said, I've counted all that as dung, as garbage, so that I may win Jesus. And he went on and went everywhere he could, telling everybody he could this gospel message that had changed his life, this gospel message that had gave him peace, and purpose, fulfillment. He told everybody about this Jesus who had filled that empty place on the inside of him. He did it at risk of life and limb. He was beaten imprisoned, shipwrecked, alienated, all because he was doing what was right, not because he was doing something wrong, not because he was running a bad race, he was running a good race, and all this was happening to him, but he kept running. And when he finished his race, he stood before the Lord. Can you imagine what that was like? Now put yourself there. If today was the day that you were standing as a believer before the judgment seat of Christ, would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Would there, would there be some crowns laid up for you because of the race you've ran? If not, I've got great news for you. God is a God of grace. And even though you can't change what's in the past, you can start today by the power of God, pleasing Him daily, running the race that He's pleased with. If you've not yet been born again, today's the day to get into this race that we've been talking about. God is ready to put you in his family and list you in his army and put you in the race right here, right now, today. If he can change my life, he can change your life. And if you need him for anything, I'm going to ask you to come. This is your invitation. Brother, come on up, please. I'm going to ask all of you to stand. If you need the Lord in any way this morning, we ask you to come. I'd love to pray with you.
Any way we can help you, that's what we want to do. If you're here today and you know you need to be born again, you've not yet trusted in Christ as Savior, then I'm encouraging you. I'm pleading with you. Make that decision before it's too late. The Bible says that today is a day of salvation. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Death is an appointment that we're all going to keep. The only problem is I don't know when that appointment's coming, and neither do you. So we must be ready, and the only way you can be ready for death is to know he who is the resurrection and the life. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? If not, come today. I want to introduce you to him by the power of the truth of the word of God. I can't save you and walking this aisle don't save you. But I can share with you what the Bible says about truly being born again. If you need the Lord, you come today. Hey, if you're, if you're having to go through some things in the race that you're running, you, there's, uh, you're, you're, you're enduring some stuff right now. I've been there too. I know what it's like. It gets tough sometimes. If you're faltering in your discipline and determination, it gets tough sometimes. I've been there. But I'm glad to tell you, the same grace that has saved you keeps you and is sufficient for you even right now. Man, God is good. God is good. If you need him today, won't you come? Don't wait. Go ahead, brother.